0: quick reminder to grab the app if you don't have the app, because that is one of the best ways to get a consistent signal. Mm. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. are going a bit of a passage here for you this morning, Lawson. Yes. Beginning in verse 1, verse 1 to 8, and I was a little bit puzzled when I first looked at the title of today's Bible study and then the passage that is given. Mm-hmm. Because the title of, you know, yesterday's was God's Covenant with Abraham, Mm -hmm. this one God's Covenant with Moses, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to Exodus chapter 19. Yeah, wow. We're not. We're going to Exodus chapter 6. Chapter 6. So what's this all about? So we went to Exodus chapter 6 and, you know, I started reading, I'm like, this is an interesting place to start talking about Mm.
1: the covenants. Okay. First, eight verses for us there, please. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 6, and verse 1. Then the Lord told Mo- Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand. He will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, today. Them, and I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people in Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Okay, so here you have a very clear covenant. Mm. Um, what is this covenant actually all about? Um, it's about their their freedom. Yes. And their, you know, the promise of land to come. The promise of land to come. Did they keep that land once they received it again? Um. Well, yeah. For how long? For uh, well, you could argue all the way up till today. Uh, Okay, how would you argue then the gap
0: between where during the uh, diaspora era uh, before 1948
1: for you know 2,000 years? Yeah. So you know, there was a period of time where they didn't have it as their possession. But okay, so then if God makes a covenant with His people, like I'm
2: giving
0: you the land of Canaan, I'm giving it to you forever. And, and the reason I'm asking this question is because it's one that actually came through from a listener. Mm. Then um, and and the listener was saying, well, then you know the, the Jewish people deserve to have that land today because God gave it to them in a covenant. Mm.
1: What was God doing doing during those two thousand years? Mm well we see like a similar thing during um you know the, the babylonian captivity where they lose we do. as well we do absolutely yeah this could probably you could reference you know the end of the book of deuteronomy we probably have some ideas on that yes. when it comes to the blessings and the curses because the reason they lost the land during for example the cap- uh, the captivity in babylon was because of the disobedience and you know we need to look then at in the time where they lost the land, you know, when did they officially like leave um, the the land that they were occupying, like the land of Israel? That well, first it time it was around. Was it around the eighty seventy siege of Jerusalem? Or? Yeah, around that time, when they were like just
0: completely destroyed, destroyed and... destroyed, dispersed everywhere. Yeah, and you would expected you would have expected that they would never have recovered as a people. They did recover as a people, which is mm. quite remarkable, but. You know, when you look at the promise of God, God says, the covenant of God is, I will give you the land of Canaan. Mm. They did have the land of Canaan for a period, but then when they had the civil war under Rehoboam, of Ooh, course, yes. that half of the three quarters of the land of Canaan disappeared. Mm. And for the next 400 years, it's all gone. Uh, and then you've got the Babylonian captivity, where they come under Babylonian rule. So they're under Assyrian rule, then they're under Babylonian rule, then mm. under under Greek rule, uh, the Persian rule, Greek rule, Roman rule, and then just dispersed everywhere um, up until 1948. And so what was God doing here? Was God backing out of his promise? Was God saying, okay, I made
1: this covenant, but I didn't really mean it. You know, What's the actual issue here? See, you know, yeah, that's such a good question because it's like, did God back out of the promise? Yes, and I would say no. God, okay. God is always faithful to His promises. I would agree, hundred percent. I think what's happening here is like, uh, uh, as well, uh, you know, what comes with this idea of giving them land is that that He would also, they would also be His people. Now, being His people, as we've kind of established, um, you know, with the Jews, there was it was a very uh, I wouldn't say complicated, but it was a very interesting situation because they were they claim to be genetically God's people, but it's also very clear that we're God's people because of our choices and actions. And when you like go through a period of consistently choosing not to be God's people Are you God's people? Are you
0: then God's people? Is is being God's people a matter of DNA or a matter of morality.
1: You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
0: In other words, let me say it this way. Is God racist? Ooh. Okay, so does God look at Jewish people in a different way that he looks at everybody else? Mm. Does he favour them because of their race differently than everybody else? Mm. Or is the issue... Rather than being race or DNA or ethnicity is the issue morality. Mm. And I would argue that the issue is morality. And well,
1: this is what the New Testament teaches, because the New Testament is very, very clear on the issue of spiritual Israel. You were going to say something, Walter. We'll yeah, I was up. just going to say, basically, Romans 9, 10, 11 is all about this topic. Yes, You can go yes. and read, and, and yes. you will get answers yes and, yes, and, and yes you again. will tick all the boxes that you want to know. Like, this concept that we're talking about, are you God's people because of race or choice? It's like... Romans nine ten eleven 11 makes it so clear that, oh yes, the Jews were God's people because he chose them for a purpose, but ultimately, you're God's people because of your choice.
0: That's right. Mm. And those who do not choose God, the Bible says, are cut off, and those who do choose God are grafted in. Yes. So you've got this agricultural model where some branches are being cut off and others are being grafted Mm. in. And so... You know, Some people look at the uh, establishment of the nation of Israel in 1948 as being, well, God did that because mm. he favours the Jewish people. I would say, no, this was a political movement that took place in 1948. And you can argue the, right, the rights and the longnesses of it any which way you want. But I would say that it was a political movement that God was not involved in that. There was, this was, this, you know, God doesn't, God is not
1: favoring the Jewish people because of the DNA that they carry. Exactly. That's another fantastic point is that, uh, you know, some people look at the, 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 passion narrative and then furthermore, how the Jews rejected Christ and they see that, oh, now the Jews aren't favored by God, but the Jews never held favor from God over any other nation. They just held it. They just had a purpose. Yes, that's right. Mm. God but does not play
0: favourites. God is not racist. Mm. They have a purpose. They had a purpose. This was the difference. And when they lost their
1: purpose, they lost their land. 100%. Like, this is... And because God works has a purpose for all different kinds of people. We read... We've just been through the book of Isaiah, and uh, I wasn't in the studio at the time, but I'm sure Lyle would have really gone hard on the section about Cyrus the Great, right? Yeah, Where we it, kind of did um, get a little sidetracked there. Yeah, because it's so cool that God calls someone he's uh, you know, Medo-Persian by descent, yes. and is called by God for a purpose. He's even used as a, a, a type or a figure of the Messiah. This non-Jewish, Gentile you know, general slash king. This random dude. It, it's like, oh, so Cyrus the Great is like extra favoured by God because, you know, God talks about him. no, like, he's not even Jewish, first of all. Like, it it, it just... My point here is that, like, Cyrus is a great example where we see that, listen, anyone can be used by God, but that that doesn't mean that then they're favoured by God. That doesn't mean that... Because... The reality is, is, that all people are favoured by God. God made a sacrifice right. for all people. Every God single loves person. All people, and the only difference between uh, you know those who He accepts into His kingdom and those who He doesn't, who, who He doesn't, is their choice. Yes. Hundred percent, you know, and this applies to the Jews also.
0: That's right. And so, this is my question: you know, if God favoured people based on their DNA, based on their ethnicity, based on their race, and if He favoured the Jewish people because of all of those things, and He has this covenant with the Jewish people, then what happened during the two thousand years of the diaspora? Mm. You know, what went wrong there? Why didn't God favour the Jewish people during that time period? Yes. Why did He only favour them in nineteen forty-eight? Mm. You know, these are big questions that I need to have answered in my mind, and I've never come up with an answer to. And that leads me to conclude that 1948 was a political um, exercise rather than um, God stepping in and making changes in the world. Um, God gave them the land of Canaan for a purpose, and when the purpose was gone, there was no need to maintain the
1: land. 100%. Hundred percent. You know, we see that in the the Book of Isaiah, like this idea that when you go to the closing chapters, that the Jew, you know the prophecy that was made about the Jews was that they would be calling people back to you know after all these messianic prophecies, that they would be calling people back to that land to worship God, um, and they would be accepting the world in their worship. And of course, we see what happened over you know that small period of time after Jesus's, you know, um, life, death, and resurrection, uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 was exactly the opposite of what God had prophesied you know, the the purpose that he had prophesied for them, like, that the, they would become, you know, because, because they rejected the Christ, they continued in their insularity, you know, just pushing out the rest of the world in their own racism, um, because of their view that, oh, we're better than everyone else. And what came of that? Well, it's like, okay, now that you've delivered the Christ and you won't even accept him, you won't even fulfill the purpose that I gave you, well, then what point is there for me to continually, you know, Give you this land, and so yeah, that's what that's what we've seen through history. It's heavy stuff, but it is. It I, is. I feel like there's such an application of that to us today. There is um, that God calls us all for a purpose. That's right. And this is what Romans. This is what you know. You, you mentioned Romans
0: nine, ten and 11. Mm. Now, I'd encourage anyone who's got questions on this subject to go and read Romans 9, 10 and 11. Mm. There you will find all of the answer to all of your questions on this issue. And if you look at, for instance, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, it's kind of, you know, Galatians is your summary of Romans. Mm. It's the abridged version of Romans, which is why often... You know, I love to read Galatians. It's one of my favourite books. Yes, because yeah. it's 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 abridged Romans. Mm. And so what you've got in three chapters in Romans, you've got in two verses in Galatians. You know, there is neither bond nor free, there is no, neither um, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Abraham's, sorry, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Mm. And the purpose that was given to Israel, the purpose that was given to the land of Israel, was given to the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And so the covenant that is made with ancient Israel doesn't change. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't disappear. God doesn't break his covenant. He just moves it from being um, geographically based to being spiritually based. Yes. And when it becomes spiritually based, it becomes truly global. It is then in a different format, and you have a world that has become truly global. Mm. I think sometimes we est- we underestimate just how tiny the world really was back then. And, you know, the majority, the vast majority of people who lived in the world uh, up until that point were living within the range of
1: the influence of God's people. Yeah. Well, you just look at how, like... Strategic, had strategically God picked, uh, you know, the land of Canaan. You know that it's right in the middle of all the trade three routes continents. From, from the east, the west. It's it's right on the right on the crossroads of three continents, mm. and you've got ocean on one side,
0: desert on the other. Everything has to go through Israel. Yeah, um, and so when you look at When you look at how God has positioned it, and then you look at, okay, you come down to Jesus in the first century, and the world has become a global place. You've got massive empires in places like India and China and these Mm. kinds of areas that now need to be reached, and they're kind of outside of the sphere of influence, and God's like, it's time for it to go global. Mm. We're not dealing with geography anymore. And God makes a change. So the covenant stays, but it transfers. And this is what Jesus taught. In fact, we're going to read that. Let's go over to the book of Matthew, and let's read about it here in the book of Matthew, how the promise Jesus says actually transfers. So if we go to Matthew chapter uh, 21, and... Let's start reading in verse 33. Matthew 21, let's start reading in verse 33. Why don't you read
1: for us there, say, uh, through to verse 40. Okay, the Bible says this. Now, listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard and built a wall around it. Dug a pit for pressing out grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to a tenant of farmers, and to yeah, to tenant farmers, and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a large group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to one another, here comes the heir of the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out, out of the vineyard and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returned, Jesus asked, what do you think? he will do to those farmers okay so interesting prophecy here
0: in in parable form mm. where jesus talks about you know this parable of the vineyard and when you work your way down through the parable of the vineyard god is the owner of the vineyard mm. uh, the vineyard is the promised land the land of israel mm. um oh there's a song coming i'm getting too far ahead of myself here this is uh <laughs> simple hymns with by faith
2: <laughs> Faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness, who walk by faith and not by sight. By faith, our fathers rule the earth. With the power of his promise in their hearts Of a holy city built by God's own hand A place where peace and justice reign shine yeah.
0: That was Simple Hymns that you were listening to with By Faith. And we're pressing on ahead through our Bible study here. We've got some great passages to look at. We're talking about the covenants. And looking at some really, I guess, hard questions in relationship to God's covenant with uh, with, with Moses. Mm. And did God actually fulfill that covenant or not? Mm. Okay, so this covenant that he makes here, um, we were working our way through this parable where... You know, Jesus tells this parable, parable of the vineyard. Yes. And so we'll just summarize it very quickly as we do a pickup. Yes. So here in our Bible study, we're looking at this parable of the vineyard. The vineyard, you've got uh, the vineyard in the Bible. The vine is a symbol of Israel. Plain mm-hmm. and simple. God is the owner of the vineyard. He uh, sends his servants to collect the fruit of the vineyard. The fruit of the vineyard is the fruit of good works and the fruit of evangelistic effort. Mm-hmm. So uh, the nation of Israel was placed in the world to be a witness unto the whole world. That was what its purpose was, was to bring the world to the knowledge of God. Yes, And so... Uh, the fruit of it is the world coming to the knowledge of God. So he, he sends his servants there, let's collect the fruit of the vineyard, let's bring the world to the knowledge of God. And the people who have been entrusted, who the vineyard has been entrusted to, they're like, no, we don't want to have anything to do with that. We're going to keep this vineyard for ourselves. We're not going to let anyone else have this vineyard or have any of the benefits or fruits of it or anything like that. And so they beat the servants up. And of course, the servants in the Bible are symbolized by the prophets or symbols of the prophets. Mm. And so they beat the servants up, and they stone some, and they kill some, and it's really, really terrible. And so the owner of the vineyard god says, well, maybe they'll reverence my son. I'll send them my son. And mm-hmm. so his son goes, and they're like, aha, this is the air. If we kill the heir, then we can keep the whole thing for ourselves, and we never have to share it with anyone else. Wow. Mm. So they do. And Jesus finishes off by asking, having told this story without giving the explanation, he's telling it to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of, and political leaders of uh, Judah at the time. He says, when the Lord of, this is verse 40, when the Lord of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those husbandmen? In other words, those whom he has left in charge of the vineyard. Mm. In other words, what will he do to the people of Israel? Mm. And
1: the people of Israel reply in verse 41. What do they say? The religious leader replied, He will put the wicked man to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Okay, so they Oof.
0: basically press the death sentence on themselves.
1: Dude, these guys just got King David did. They just got nathan nathan and King David, you know, back to the story where it's, uh, uh, King, you know, Nathan comes and, and does the parable of the sheep uh-huh. and, uh, you know, oh, if a man has a hundred sheep and he goes after the, he steals one, he has thousands of sheep and he steals one sheep from someone who only has one sheep. What should happen to that man? And David's like, that man should be condemned and killed. And Nathan's like, this is you. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They just got King David. They just got King David. Like uh-huh. the, totally. Jesus has completely called them out. He's called out, you know, the Jews, the, their history. Ah, oh, this has such incredible application. Like, not application, but I would say, just thinking about what the Jewish nation could have been. Yes. You know, because they, they go on, he, Jesus here, he tells them the parable of rejecting the chief cornerstone. And this is a really famous biblical moment um, where they, at this time, this is kind of one of the moments where they're like, okay, let's kill Jesus, let's get rid of this guy, because he completely calls them out. But it just makes me think, you know, look at the 12 disciples, the, the apostles, and the later Christian church. Like, we, you know, talk about the, the apostles that aren't so much uh, mentioned, you know, in the biblical narrative, after the, after the passion narrative, you have the book of Acts. And, you know, it focuses a lot on Peter and Paul, but it's like, oh, what happened to the other guys? And you see someone like Thomas, for example, who travels through to, you know, India and these parts of the world and you know, people who are calling no. themselves Thomas Christians today because of what he did. This was one man and probably a small group of disciples who changed, like, among him, who, like, because of his missionary efforts in that area of the world, changed the world. Dramatically, you know, and it's because they come out from that central strategic point where God had placed them. Man, imagine if this was the whole Jewish nation. Yeah, you see what this. what uh, twelve or maybe one hundred and twenty people can do. Yeah, imagine if the whole nation did that. Oh, the whole nation just changed overnight. Well, because, like, you think about that, they were they were well liked by the Romans in in a way because of how much money they bring into Rome because you know the temple system. Like these were, you know, for such a small nation, they were like there was a, there was a spotlight on them already. There was already focus. They already had the, the the opportunity to really be who God called them to be. Um, and it's just it's one of the great tragedies of human history that they didn't. Um you know, of course we have you know the the christian the Christian message goes out anyway, and we're sitting here in Australia two thousand years later, you know, as Christians talking about it on radio, so like praise the Lord. but I think we could definitely be looking at a very different world today, if, you know, God's people, rather than, rather than you know, taking the promises of God for themselves, considering that they had, were entitled to them because of their genetics, that they were a special people, solely because of this, rather, took it on themselves to make, to choose God, to truly choose God, to choose Jesus, uh, and to be the people who God had called them to be. Indeed, indeed. Notice what it says
0: here in verse 43, Jesus says, therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God... Mm. will be taken from you and given to a new nation bearing the fruits thereof. Mm. Notice, what, notice what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God, the promises of God, your status as being the people who are recipients of the covenant will be taken from you and it will be transferred to somebody else. Yes. Bringing forth the fruits thereof. So notice what the issue is here. The issue is not, we are sons of Abraham. Mm. The issue is, we bring forth the fruits of Abraham. Yes. Mm. That's the issue. It's not based around race. It's not based
1: around ethnicity. It is based around morality. And it's, you know, what's so crazy is that there are still lots of Christians today who believe in, in dispensationalism and, and the way that God, uh, you know, God is, oh, forever, you know, Jews are like, this it's funny that Christians believe that Jews are favored by God today. Like in that sense that we were talking about before that false sense that they are literally favored by God because of their genetics. Um, and it's so interesting because Jesus just straight up disputes that. That's right. In the plainest possible
0: language, and this is not because I'm in any way, shape, or form against Jews and oh, Jewish yeah, people we're not or the anti-Semitic, you know, not in the least, no, not in the least. But you know, when you look at the great Abrahamic religions, mm. and if you wanted to find, you know, where we are the closest to, who are we actually the closest to amongst the Abrahamic religions? Yeah. We're actually closer to Islam than we are to Judaism. Mm. Because Islam has Jesus Christ. They believe in the return of Jesus Christ. Their Jesus mm. is a little different from ours. Uh, but we're actually closer to Islam than we are mm. to Judaism, mm. theologically.
1: Yeah. Particularly, like, with the
0: developments that have happened. Now, we have a very special tie to Judaism, and I understand that, because Jesus was Jewish. Yes. And so, and you know, our Bible was written by by Jewish, Jews. By Jewish people, apart from, you know, like, Daniel chapter four and yeah, Ezra chapter one verse two and three. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Um, apart from that, it was written by Jewish, and so we're going to naturally, naturally have a very close affinity uh, to Jewish people. I get that, I understand that, and I believe that you know that's that's entirely appropriate. But it there are many aspects of you know the way we approach world religions that we probably would take a should take a fresh look at. Mm. Anyway, let's uh, listen to Frank Yuli, I Will Be Your God. Faith FM, we want to hear from you. This is your opportunity to tell us what you think as part of an Australia-wide research project. To take part, just visit faithfm.com.au and follow the survey links. You'll also go into the running to win a $100 gift card. Your answers are anonymous and will really help our understanding of what we mean to you and will ensure Faith FM can continue to be a voice of hope into the future. Thank you for telling us what you think. Visit faithfm.com.au for all the details.
1: You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
0: better tv station partner hope channel australia focuses on faith health relationships and community it's television that will change your life visit hopechannel.com forward slash au that's hopechannel.com forward slash au to find out more Oh question of the day right now we're going to kind of just launch straight into it so here we go question of the day now the question that has come in which is an interesting one is what does the bible teach about gambling and uh, you know the, it's one of those subjects that the bible doesn't directly address but you'll find that christians don't participate in gambling And so a lot of people are like, well, why don't Christians participate in gambling if the Bible doesn't directly address it? So there's a couple of, I'm going to make a couple of observations before we get started into the actual question itself. The first observation I'm going to make is that as a Christian, we should never involve ourselves in things that are addictive. And the reason for that is that something that is addictive is something that controls your mind. And the only thing that should, or the only person who should ever be in control of your mind as a Christian is Jesus Christ. And if an addiction is in control of your mind, then that means that Jesus is not in control of your mind and we need to come back and focus our attention on Jesus. Okay, so this is the first thing. So gambling is very, very strongly addictive. It's one of the worst addictions that we have here in Australia. It creates untold levels of social destruction. There are so many families that have broken up, so many lives that have been destroyed, so many lives that have been wrecked, as a result of gambling, it is hard to calculate just how much damage this particular you know thing in our society has done. And this is why Christians have long recognised and said, "Yeah, gambling is not a good thing uh, because it's not a good thing. We're not going to involve ourselves in it, um, and we're not going to go there." But You're looking for biblical principles on this. So we're going to look at some Bible verses here. And the first one we're going to go to is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. And ask ourselves the question, why do people involve themselves with gambling? What is the motivation behind it? What is the driving force behind gambling? And so we're going to go over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, where are you? Uh, Chapter 6. And we are going to look here in verse 10 Where the Bible says For the love of money is the root of all evil Which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith And pierced themselves through with many sorrows You couldn't get a better verse to describe a gambling addict Gambling is purely based around the love of money That's it People love the thrill of getting money. And if the love of money did not exist, let's say that we suddenly had a zapping tool and we zapped the whole world with the tool so that the love of money ceased to exist. We're not saying that money ceased to, ceases to exist, but the love of money ceases to exist then you would find that gambling and casinos and gambling institutions would instantly come to an end and they would cease to exist. And so there's our the first thing. In fact, the Bible says, and it's part of the Ten Commandments, uh, thou shalt not covet. I want you to think about that for a moment because the only one of the Ten Commandments that is Kind of nobody ever admits to. You know, you find some people like, yeah, I have a problem with lying, or I have a problem with stealing, or I have a problem with, you know, adultery, or whatever it might be. Uh, Various problems that people admit to having a problem with, you know, blasphemy, whatever, whatever it might be. I've never met anyone who's come to me saying, I have a real problem with coveting, with covetousness. If you eliminated covetousness from our world, think about this. You would eliminate gambling. Gambling would suddenly cease to exist. Now, there's some interesting uh, principles in relationship to this if we go over to the book of Proverbs. uh, Let's go there very quickly. Psalms, Proverbs, where is it? Right here. And we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 28. So Proverbs 28, and we're going to go to verse 20. The Bible says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he that makes haste, should be rich shall not be blessed so the bible speaks against you know all of your get rich quick schemes if you get involved in a get rich quick scheme you will not be blessed the bible is clear about this and uh, of course gambling is the epitome of a get rich quick scheme finally in second thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 paul says very simply if you don't eat so sorry if you don't work then you don't deserve to eat. Gambling is all about getting money without working for it. It is unproductive and we should be living productive lives.
2: I need to stop wanting what everyone has Just for the sake of having it I need to stop wanting what everyone has And take only what I can give with Make my love simple
0: That was Mara King with Life Simple. What a great song to go along with our question of the day today. But that does bring us to the end of the show. It's been a great show. We've enjoyed your company as we always do. Kind of sad that we're going to have to wait till tomorrow morning to catch up again. But we will be back here to continue with the show. Right now, we are going to have our free giveaway. And our free giveaway today is called The Power of a Promise. Okay, so this is a its a great book, The Story of God's Love, Faithfulness, and Commitment to Save Fallen Humanity. This promise is not just about our commitment to God, it's about God's commitment to us. It highlights God's side of promise as the everlasting covenant. So it goes really well with what we've been talking about in our Bible study today. Woven from the many covenants throughout Scripture. And we're starting to see that, you know, the covenants of Noah, the covenants with Abraham, the covenants with Adam, the covenants, with Moses the covenants you know, all the way down through scripture we're starting to see those as we go through our Bible study at the moment this book is a book that will expand on what we are studying uh, at this particular time in our Bible study series so to get your copy of this book entirely for free all you have to do is the very be the very first person to call on 1-800-324-843 or you can text us on 0491-064-669 6, 9. That is Make sure you save those numbers in your phone there. And of course, as you go through this day, remember to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
2: God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. council's guide of holding With the sheep securely holding